I mean, the out, the outpouring of tributes and from potentially from everywhere it's just been very very uh very very overpowering almost kind of just like how many people he seemed to have known and in a very positive way across being like both a school teacher coach athlete yeah. and just like kind of a lot of people who've seemed like different sides of his life yeah that you kind of oh yeah absolutely. like in like uh, nice about the teacher be it, was it a student or was yeah, and the Irish Times, really good article, yeah. Yeah, the former former student. I mean, I, because <clears throat> even like lads who went to secondary school with me had him as a sixth class teacher and they all kind of, they got in touch after him and kind of he was gen, genuinely regards like the best teacher that a lot of people have. And kind of, I think, like, I think, like, I think sixth class teacher is like a very like powerful role that can be influential yeah. and he certainly lived up to it and served it well. It's always sad thing with these things. Um, it's like after they die, the outpouring comes, and you're gonna wish the outpouring would have come while they're around to hear it. But that's the nature of it. Yeah, although I mean, I think I think he certainly knew. And then, like even like when Kira was chatting, kind of that people, like, you know, she met Jerry in UCD once in the cafe there, and kind of a student came by and said, like, "Mr. Kieran, isn't this?" And kind of like I stopped and thanked him. So I mean, for what he had done, why yeah. it was I mean, that would have been you're talking about whatever, eight years down the line that he'd gone through all secondary school, arrived in college, and then still kind of wanted to thank his sixth class teacher when he saw him for, you know, yeah. what he'd done to get him to that point. Mm. Yeah, so was um, I suppose I'll, I'll introduce this anyway. So Mick, we recorded our interview last week and it would have been a bit strange to put out an hour interview with an Olympic marathon runner and not mention. Yeah, and I was thinking that about, so I wasn't sure what this thought it was. You know, and then people might think it was recorded afterwards or something, and it was, you know, so fair play anyway. For so I had yourself on, and then Kevin, who was coached by Jerry and good friends. So Mick, as an Olympic marathon runner, I suppose, was Jerry Kieran and someone you looked up to as um as a role model. Yeah, just starting there. I just offer offer my uh, condolences to to Jerry's his family and his friends, all his. Many, many friends, his close friends, uh, athletes who are all close friends of his as well, um, Kevin, especially there, he's on with us now. Um, so, like, Jerry was, obviously, I looked up to Jerry like he was from that the generation of my coach, Dick Cooper, as well. And, and you know, Jerry was an incredible athlete. You know, his, his achievements are phenomenal when you look at the range of distances he could cover. Um, his times over the over the years, and just to, I suppose it was before his his running career was before my, you know, time to actually see him running. But like looking back at the pictures and um, some footage, you know, you can see what a great competitor he was. Um, so yeah, and then I suppose recent years in my in my own running, um, you know, Jerry would be at all the races, like Pat Hooper as well. Another another of the. Stollards who, who sadly passed away so soon, and um, so young, and um, so Jerry would have been, you know, most races I'd be at because also a lot of Jerry's athletes would be over the years have been my competitors. All that, like most races I've, I've been in on a national level, it's one of Jerry's athletes who I'd be competing against. Like even with Kevin there, we've we've had some battles, and so you know there was that that kind of sporting rivalry which goes back to Jerry and Dick as well. 
they had a, an, an intense rivalry. So I always, I always thought it was, I always enjoyed seeing Jerry at races. He had that presence, and I suppose for myself, I kind of one thing I never really got a proper chance to have a, you know, I would have loved to have had a proper chat with Jerry, a sit down, or and you know, because I've heard so many stories of all his his great um, knowledge and you know just his everything about him and I suppose it was difficult from the fact that I wasn't coached by Jerry you know I'd just see him at races we'd say hello and um, I think Jerry you know I like to think he had it he had an appreciation for me as a runner as well and I know you know he used to support me a lot and he'd always cheer me on Um, so you know like I did have a massive respect for Jerry and um, I always loved to see him at the races there and you know just see him up in the corner a bit like you know he'd be in them quiet parts on the cross country course or um, that Kevin would know he'd find the good spots to be to shout you know so yeah it's so some some nice memories going back you know that'll pop up of Jerry being at certain races I was at and, you know Kev, Kevin you were coached by Jerry and um, when did that relationship start? Um, so something kind of started very organically when I came back from college in middle 2016 so I'm actually my first two sessions was actually back out in Rodini and Santria, Dick and Mick there, which is kind of from where I was living and working at the time. It just, you know, it was more out of convenience than anything else because Connor was training in UCD and kind of with Mark Christie and Joe Sweeney knocking about there's a few good guys out there. So it's ended up kind of going there and there's no sort of formal, you know, I don't think I even asked, ever asked Jerry to be my coach. It's more just kind of, I kept showing up and then he got, kind of got his phone number and then, you know, he'd ring me after a session or two and say, oh, you know, you're looking good tonight. And then kind of became a very organic process. I mean, that's kind of how the group operated in UCD. I mean, there's a, there's a WhatsApp group now that kind of has 80-odd athletes in it who've been coached by him over the years, many of whom would still call him their main coach. Just because, I mean, the group was so natural that just, you know, at half six the session started either on the winter loop or the summer loop in UCD on a Tuesday night and people just knew it was there. People just knew they could show up. Jerry would give them good time. He'd give them a session. There'd be a group and a good atmosphere there to train under. So kind of that just kept me coming back. Yeah, that must have been comics. I don't know if you saw that Kieran McGeehan news talk thing and he never formally said, I'll be your coach. He just said, I'll advise you. Yeah, <laughs> just no, kind of went from there. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's what I mean. He was never, he was never a formal coach. I mean, he certainly has no coaching education. Which, when you look at now, kind of the premium that gets put on that education, you know, he just knew it himself, and he was, you know, an educator first and foremost, and that came across in absolutely everything he did, from coaching, running, but also from, you know, his Christmas gift to me last year was an Italian phrase a day calendar. You know, he was always interested in keeping you know people learning and even learning himself you know kind of he'd be intrigued when you know he loved words and if I gave him a new word or he gave me one we'd always enjoy that about it kind of you know always still learning and teaching forever essentially yeah no it's been being I mean I mean I think like the one mark of I think what's so unique about him is that the tributes have been so consistent almost in that when you talk hear Kira speak or what I know of him or speak in the group that he was this I think Emmett said it very well in the post on Strav about how he had this unique ability to make 
you feel like you were his best friend when you spoke to him. And he had that ability to do that with everyone, that everyone felt, you know, they really, really knew him on a deep personal level, even if you only had brief conversations, or even as Mick says, mm. never even had kind of a in-depth conversation with him, but still felt you knew him and knew what he was about and his support that he had and his love for the sport as well. Yeah, even just reminding me there, of, as I said, I only had the brief, you know, exchanges with Jerry at, at races and I was just thinking back, just kind of in my mind, it was after, it'd been after one of the marathons, maybe the World Championships 2017, I think around the Open cross country a few, a couple of months later and first race back, race back and obviously it was a bit below par and I just remember Jerry saying just, you know, Mick, you can't be, you can't be up there all the time. You have to, take the hits after a marathon but it was just a real simple little phrase but it, you know it just kind of stood to me you know Jerry's saying that to me you know so he, as, as Kevin saying them little snippets of um, you know very simple stuff but it's, it still kind of resonated with me you know that Jerry you know he's he's shown this um, interest and he's you know advising advising me about you know when you're beating yourself up because you're trying to be at the top all the time and you know Jerry just said look you can't be like that all the time very simple but it just because it was from him it just stuck to me you know just straight after the race when you're you're a bit cheesed off or whatever and, and yeah so I'm sure there's many more than moments that's, I mean he absolutely he spoke with complete honesty and while certain people might have tried you know cheer you up after a race not that it was he was just so honest in a, you know, and some people kind of called it that he had a gruff exterior or that he was, you know, a bit abrasive at times, but he did it out of a place of trying to just, you know, help you. If he, he said that to you, obviously, you know, knowing you'd a, a disappointing race and not to say, not to call it a disappointing race to you, but to kind of just put it in pers- the wider perspective of what you'd achieved that summer in the marathon. And kind of that was what he was always about, kind of like, the biggest, the bigger picture all the time of, you know, mm. having to unfortunately be a bit harder on people just because he knew that some people would respond to it, need it. And the people who he didn't feel would want that, he would have the tact or the emotional intelligence to not say it to them at that time. Yeah. Evan, I wanted to touch on, um, you wrote an Instagram post there, it was very nice about um, him kind of putting self-belief into you and particularly the 2018 cross-country wow. championships. You were yeah. probably, um, I suppose you, you probably thought that you could win it, but I suppose a lot of, going into that race, you were probably seen as an underdog almost, or that was the way the talk was going at the time. So, like, how did he? What was he saying to yeah, you yeah. leading up to that race? And um, how did you like? How much um, of a lift did that give you? Absolutely. I mean, I mean, like, it certainly, like, we would still joke about, and you were chatting to Ian O'Reardon during the week kind of reflecting you know he kind of you know, a lot of people had written articles in the week before of it being the homecoming almost coronation of Sean Tobin after being in America the sort of he had come home from America and was going to win this title and was going to be that was the story going into that championships I mean Jerry just knew me from training with me over I mean that that point he coached me for two years and watched me do two sessions a week every week I just could tell by looking at me because we did a 6K time trial on the course the week before. He kind of looked at me after and said, you know, if you can run two more laps at that pace next week, you'll win. And it was just kind of, there was never, 
any question. It wasn't just, it wasn't necessarily a tactic or it wasn't a kind of a big motivational speech. It was just pure, honest, you can win if you run that way. There wasn't, you know, it's not like, and that was, it was just so natural that you didn't even feel like it was this big motivational, emotional pump up speech. It was just, again, because you knew he was a straight shooter and you knew he was honest. When he said something to you, you knew it was because he believed it and that just made you believe it all the more so too. Yeah, so you knew he was never going to pump you up if he said it, it was going to be, you knew what he was, he knew what he was talking about. Yeah, I mean, and I wanted to, I wanted to believe it in myself and he would have known that, but I mean, yeah, again, he was, he wasn't a man who was going to, he wasn't going to inflate you for no reason because that was, that wasn't his nature and that was so well known about him and clear about him that you just, you know, when he said you would win something, you just believed him. Where, where, where did that um, like his his love of learning come from? Like he's from a very rural place in Kerry, Brosna, which is like the middle of nowhere. <laughs> I, think, I, think he, I think it's house between two pubs down in uh, down in Brosna. Um, I mean, I suppose again, unfortunately, I only knew Jerry in the last five years of his life, and kind of I mean touched up. I mean, he just I mean. He came up to Dublin to go to St. Pat's to learn or to, you know, do his train to become a teacher and then, you know, went straight into teaching primary school. I mean, there seemed to be, I never got to the heart of what exactly drove him as an 18 year old to come up to Dublin to become a teacher. He obviously, I don't know, I mean, he obviously had a love from it from somewhere and if there's ever a man in a career well met, it was certainly him and teaching. Yeah. Um, so, so we always play a song, and um, I asked you last night, Connor or Kevin, sorry, um, <laughs> about what song would have suited Jerry. Yeah, um, yeah. So, so this was, I mean, like, this is a story from Emmett Dunleavy again that I'd heard over the years, and that Jerry was certainly a big fan of his, uh, you know, I suppose, what is it, 80s rock music, you know, he's often. If you call him on a, if you call him to chat in the evening, he'd pause the YouTube clips of concerts that he was watching from, you know, ACDC, that era. I mean, he certainly had a lot of albums in the car that he kind of offered me to borrow one year. And we often joked, again, like kind of very strange looking back now of what song we played at his funeral. And uh, kind of ACDC came up kind of parked and said, no, it'll be Dude Looks Like a Lady by Aerosmith. <laughs> Which, given the the hairstyle he rocked for a long, long time, with them said the mullets rocking out in heaven, that you know, kind of, if there's ever a fitting song for the man, it would be that one. Yeah, the quote you sent me just says, "No, no, no, I want dude looks like a lady played at my funeral." <laughs> the the mullet will be rocking out there, Smith, today. Yeah, he's, he's, uh, yeah, he had his he had his taste and he knew what he liked and certainly. Him about music, I know, oh, no, no, you you will come very well. He certainly had a very uh, good music taste of kind of the classic rock from that was certainly his style. So we'll uh, we'll play that song in uh, in memory of Jerry and another an, another legend gone. Unfortunately, yeah, certainly being Jerry, Pat, Joe Cooper. I mean, certainly being a clubs and groups have lost 
stalwarts and linchpins that they'll be missed that and do come back there'll be three big voids there of you know characters who are who are always there so their yeah. legacy gone. I was just before we I was out running in the snow down on the end of Dolly Mount Beach this morning just, and I managed to get away from the crowds but it was uh, peaceful down there and the snow was belting down it was hardly see in front but it was just uh, the likes of Pat Hooper and Jerry came into my my mind you know just thinking of all them miles they ran and you know the love for it and I was just you know it was one of them moments just being out there running nobody around and the snow all around you know and you kind of just uh, yeah it was a nice kind of touch you know of all, all them miles that didn't covered and as Pat used to say no such thing as bad weather only weak men and I'm sure Jerry had that similar kind of oh, he did. He, mind, you know, to get to where he, where he did. So, uh, you know, there'll be... He, he often believes it would benefit that kind of, even in, in the LA Martin, he sort of said that, you know, people from, you know, the continent almost were made too soft by their weather. He went, he went out, he trained in San Diego a bit before the marathon and was kind of running around in kind of just the shorts and shirt off and kind of said, you know what? He almost found it too easy to be running. That he actually needed a bit of hardship that he had from being yeah. in Ireland to toughen up and making what he was over the years. Yeah, no, it's true. It's true. I suppose um, growing up in Kerry, you would have toughened you up as well. Is it? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I kicked about a few Gaelic football pitches. Yeah, well, um, Kevin and Mick, thanks for thanks for doing that. No, thank you. I kind of appreciate the opportunity. Kind of, I say it is fitting to cover a little bit even especially in kind of said she last night makes a very fitting guest to have on of kind of similar long hair olympic marathoners <laughs> rock music you know it's not you know we, we both had an appreciation for sandals anyway myself and jerry <laughs> absolutely
Mick Clossy, thanks for coming on. How are you? Uh, thanks very much, Liam, for having me on. All good, yeah. Um, keeping well during these, these uh, I suppose, quieter quieter times running-wise anyway, but hopefully uh, we're coming to near the end of all this um, this uh, pandemic. I know it's not too great at the moment, but um, at least there's a bit of an end in sight. And I think like everyone in the running running community will be looking forward to getting getting back out there racing and everything coming back hopefully and it'll be another few months but at least there's uh, a bit of a bit of light at the end and um you know it'll be nice to get back on the roads and whatever else events you know because i think everyone's all the levels you know are, are missing uh, the competitive side of sport but i think one of the, the great things about running is that we can still go out and train really no matter what you know whether you're doing it on your own or whatever. Club stuff has stopped, but you know, at least you can keep keep the training up. And like other sports that you know are a lot more restricted, so at least uh, we've no excuse for not being fit when you get back into the into the racing. Yeah, just generally speaking, how was twenty twenty? We might go into the running a bit further, but um, mm. just overall, how was your year? Yeah, well, it was a strange year. Like everyone, um, started out quite well running wise. I had uh, I was building for Seville Marathon this time last year, so. This time last year, I was down in Portugal for a nice, uh, I think it was nearly down there for three weeks after Christmas, which was great with my wife and my young son, Paul, who was, he's only over one now, but he was only a few months old then. So we spent a good bit of the January down there, which was great because it was just it was so relaxing and nice to be able to train and a bit of sunshine. And uh, Came back, ran Rohini 5. That went, that was very, you might remember the race was probably the highest standard in, ever overall in the top 10 or whatever. So I think we finished eight and I still ran a PB and even the previous year I'd won it and I ran quicker last year so the standard up front was something else um, but I knew I was you know I was training well I went down to the John Tracy 10 mile then which is great 10 uh, race at the start of February and I ran a PB over 10 miles 48 16 and then yeah I thought it was all good for Seville but uh, the last few weeks beforehand I just didn't know whether just ran out of juice a bit I'm not sure what it was but the race itself turned into a bit of a disaster. It was my first dropout in America. My Achilles tightened up and my calf slash Achilles soleus area uh, cramped up early on in the race. And I managed to last about 20 miles, but I had to pull the plug as much as I hated dropping out, but I had no choice. So that was a bit of a, look, it was, you know, you're upset afterwards and a bit, um, what's the word, downbeat. But look, you get over it. That's running, I suppose, as the more of, you know, over the years, you, you don't, you know, you learn that you have to just move on and them races are as much, you know, a learning curve and you, you come out of them wanting to get back into things. But straight after that is when the uh, everything started to, to lock down and the, the virus came on the scene pretty quick. So the running then, obviously there was nothing happening. And for myself, I love to race fairly regularly, you know, over the over the year, I'd probably like every two to three weeks in a normal year, I'd be on the road or, you know, bit of cross country, bit of track, but mostly on the roads in recent years. So I, re- I kind of missed that. Now I was recovering from the injury of the Achilles. So it gave me a bit, a bit of time not to be rushing back. And I probably in the, in the long run, it probably stood to me not to be rush, rushing back into races. So I had a good bit of the spring just trying to get the body back. And yeah, I got back. The injury cleared, thankfully, because with an Achilles injury, sometimes I'm, I'm being very lucky myself, but I know from here and others, you know, the Achilles can be, something yeah. that can linger for a long while and you can have serious trouble. So thankfully that um, healed and I was back tipping away through the summer, a bit like everyone, you know, not really knowing what was happening race-wise. 
ran the nationals on the track, which didn't go great for me. The 10K, one of my worst ones over the years and that, but look, that's what happens. Um, and I, then I got, it was a late call to run the London Marathon in October, which had been cancelled, obviously. And then they had this, I'm sure you know, the elite race where they were doing laps of uh, St. James Park, 19 laps. So originally I didn't think it was something that I'd be doing, but then I said, look, it's the only opportunity really for the rest of the year. So I said, right, I'll do it. It was probably August when I decided to get into that. And thankfully I got an entry, but yeah, it was a strange one. My, my, my training building up to it was maybe a little bit haphazard, a bit rushed trying to prepare for a marathon. Now I wasn't solid enough shape, but looking back, I was just a little bit all over the place training wise, maybe not enough consistency. Um, so, and I was missing the races. Now I got one race in in Charleville, the half marathon, which went ahead and did a great job to get it going because there was so mm-hmm. little on the roads. And I decided I'd got a win down there and it wasn't, it didn't feel easy. So I was, that was three weeks out from London. So I knew I was kind of fooling myself a bit thinking, oh yeah, it's great to get a win. But I knew I wasn't feeling the way it should be going into a marathon, trying to run a really quick time. Um, so I got over to London, obviously it was a strange experience being in the hotel, the bubble uh, thing they had set up and no fans, no family over, which I'm used to. And then the race itself was just was a disaster for me because I cramped up early on. Just not sure what happened to me, really. And it was just a slog. I finished it out, which was probably the main positive from it because it was mentally with the laps and it was lashing rain. And it was it was damp. And yeah, you probably did you watch it on the on, on the box. Right? Yeah, yeah, was yeah I watched some live stream or something. Yeah. yeah. So when it's not going well after 10K in a marathon, uh, you know, it's going to be a rough day. So. Look, I grinded it out, and that was probably the, the main positive from it because it could have, it was it was a kind of race where you could easily have stepped off because every lap they had a place where they'd actually said beforehand, look, if you're struggling or if you have to drop out, drop out here. So you had this 19 times, um, <laughs> but you know, thankfully I grinded it out, finished it out, wasn't injured or anything, but I was just wasn't at the races that day. And looking back, I probably wasn't mentally tuned in enough for it. I don't know where I was a bit anxious beforehand, going away and with all the COVID stuff and. I think being away from, you know, my little son, Paul, and my wife, Crown, I was at all these thoughts in my head, oh, I might get stuck over here if there's an outbreak and all this kind of silly stuff that you shouldn't really have in your mind a few mm-hmm. days before marathon, but these are all playing on my mind. And, you know, it was maybe I should have been a little bit more focused on the job at hand, but that was the nature of it. Um, but look, it was looking back, it would probably be something to be great to have been a part of, you know, it was definitely a one-off time that they have to do that so look you'll probably look back and say yeah it was good to be a part of this uh version of the london marathon so that was october took a break for a month or so just got back running and since then yeah training wise i'm just plugging away i'm actually getting into i feel i'm coming around again into a good bit of shape of i'm down for wrexham in april there's an elite marathon scheduled to happen it's the only one that seems to be on the on the agenda anywhere close to home so there's a few of the Irish planning to do it I know Sean Heher and a few of the uh, a few of the women are planning so it's good to have something as a target because that's been something that I've missed I suppose is having the regular race kind of fixtures to keep me keep me going but um, no, I'm tipping away and I suppose like yeah it's been a been a different year but everyone has been in the same boat and thankfully all my family and all have been healthy so I suppose they're the main things you know yeah good stuff so do, do you find that with experience as, as you've gone through your career that dealing with disappointing races like um, Seville and London and Nationals, you just kind of move on a lot quicker? Did you just get hung up a lot more on the, on them kind of things? Yeah, yeah I suppose you'd, like, I still would get fairly 
you know, I wouldn't get be down down in the dumps for too long. But you know, I suppose the thing with Seville this year was uh, normally a few weeks later or a month or so later, I'd get back on the roads and kind of banish the, you know, the feeling by going out and trying to get a good road race in over a shorter distance. So this year I didn't have that um, option of uh, kind of redeeming myself quick after. But yeah, like this year, I think just the whole, the way this year has gone, I wasn't as tuned in, as I said, for, even after London. Yeah, I was disappointed, but it was kind of just like, oh, look, I just wanted to get back and get back home after it and uh, just kind of move on. But yeah, I probably have learned over the years that the disappointments are, you know, you, you can take stuff from them. I learned a lot even this year from my own training approach that I maybe had gotten a bit casual with things, thinking I can just switch back in when I want to. And, you know, I suppose there's an element of me trying to go off the years of running I have behind me now that I can go on autopilot a bit. And that's probably the way I was going into London, but you kind of realise that you really have to respect the marathon. And then at that level, you can't just expect to go in and try and run 211 or something, mm. thinking it's just going to, you know, you need to be really on the ball and stuff because the standards have gone up so much as well, especially in the marathon that, you know, even from the start, like the likes of Seville, you're straight into five, five minute mile and from the start. And I think I, looking back, I probably wasn't warmed up enough before the race. I was just a bit too too chilled out and thinking, oh yeah, I'll just go into this now. And that's probably how my calf and Achilles area seized up because I mightn't have been warmed up going straight in. So there's a few little things that you pick up. Um, But yeah, look, I wouldn't wouldn't dwell on them too much. And especially in the last year and a half and to have my little son, Paul, you know, it's all in perspective. But um, look, I still get annoyed. You know, you have to to feel a bit of disappointment otherwise because it means, you know, when you take it seriously, you know, if you didn't have any feelings like that, I mean, you don't really care. So it's important to, right, yeah. you know, you know, have them feelings of annoyance and try and learn from it and, you know, get the hunger back to, to push on. So, and that's where like a great support, like Dick Cooper has coached me through the last 30 years since I was a teenager, pretty much, you know, he's great to have there. It's a two way kind of coaching relationship these days, but, you know, Dick would never let you get carried away with that. And if you've done really well, or also if you've had a bad run, he's, you know, he's not going to feel too sorry for you. It's kind of right, move on and let's keep the show going and learn from it and push on because that's the nature of sport, you know, it's up and down. So, but yeah, hopefully there's some good, good days ahead. So you're, you're aiming at Wrexham. It must be hard running a marathon with no fans on the streets. So how are you going to cope for Wrexham without having that, I suppose, feeding off that energy of the, the fans? Yeah, I, I'm not really sure to set up for Wrexham as yet because I think it's still I mean it depends on where things are in April but it, it probably will be a similar closed off affair um, yeah like London was different it was just no atmosphere there and it was just doing the laps and you do feed off it but then again I'm I'm used to training on my own a lot especially doing my long runs you know I do them at quite a hard you know my marathon training runs or it's up to Phoenix Park or sometimes I'm down in Portugal and I'd have my dad or sometimes my wife Crona helping me with drinks and stuff but you know a lot of the time you're out on your own so suppose you can you know use all the training that you've done and replicate it in a race situation where you're you don't have that crowd atmosphere to um to spur you on but look it is it is something that you especially the likes of the Dublin Marathon which was just such a buzz having the crowds and it does help you along but then there's parts as well where you do like a bit of quietness as well just to focus on your own mind you're not you know but yeah look I'll have to just Make sure I'm prepared for Wrexham. It'll be interesting. It's not as high key, you know, a marathon as, as London. The, the field won't be anywhere near as strong. It's possibly a chance for me to to try and get on the, you know, get a podium because I don't think this this guy is too much faster than me than me in it. So I'd I'd like to go to Wrexham and just try and get back on track. And I'd love to run a PB 
whatever the time is, you know, but I'd love to just get back on track because I know that I have a lot of progression. I still feel in the marathon if I look after myself the next few years. So I just want to try and get back on the, you know, the upward, upward curve. Yeah. How, how did you cope with like um, the uncertainty of everything? Did you find like it gave you a bit of anxiety or did, did you cope fairly well? I suppose running wise, then you kind of nearly accept that there's nothing much happening and you can get a bit casual in your training because you you need goals in, in, in running like a lot of things, you know, to keep your motivation. And I suppose through parts of the year, I might've been just tipping away, but not really doing nothing too specific. So yeah, at times, and then, you know, you know, the whole virus thing and the media bombardment of it, like you have to switch out from it because it can, it can get in on you as well. And you're hearing about it all the time. And, but yeah, look, I, you know, I kept busy with my little son and mind, you know, minding him a lot as well and doing things. And so, you know, like, it wasn't too bad, you know, like, I know some people found the year very hard, but I wouldn't say on a kind of away from the running being, you know, not much happening there, like on a lifestyle thing, I, you know, I was, yeah, you have to be careful, do your bit to, to avoid trying to, be in harm's way or whatever but you know it was it was it was a nice year at the same time you know because having the young young little Paul you know when he's starting to grow up a bit and you know so I was kept well kept well busy and I'm doing a lot of coaching as well so that's been stop start a bit with my group stuff obviously with the restrictions but doing online schedules and coaching people one-to-one so that's kind of keeps me busy as well and it um it's great to be able to do that as well and make it make a living from it and it's related to running something I love so yeah, we'll get into that later on. Um, you mentioned Paul there a few times and you're, you're smiling. Yeah. Um, has it given you a newfound perspective on life and, and running? Absolutely, yeah. Um, Paul's one and a half now. So, yeah, like it's it's a big learning curve, like uh, being, a, being a father. But, uh, yeah, it does give you a new perspective. And, you know, you don't overthink about, you know, running. Maybe in the past you'd be worried you're not getting enough rest or you're, you know, I should be having a, a nap now and, and you know, with a, a one-year-old son, you don't get as many opportunities to get as much sleep or whatever. So, you know, you, you can sometimes realize that running is a simple enough. Look, you need your rest, obviously, and you need your recovery, but you can still go out and train hard and, you know, don't overthink about it. And I suppose over the years, I've kind of learned that. And I suppose the advantage I have as well is I've consistent years behind me in training that I can, you know, maybe not have to worry about you know, if I miss a little bit of time or whatever, that I still have that bank of training behind me that doesn't just disappear. But yeah, it has definitely given me a new a new perspective. And it's it's different. You know, you just zone in and out of running then, you know, you're not thinking about it all day. But look, I still still would be it's always on my mind back of my mind. But you know, you're, there's other things that uh, take uh, favor before that, you know. Okay. That leads us into our, our first track. What what first track have you picked? First track. Uh so first one in I will go with my dad, who's a singer, songwriter, musician. Yeah, so my dad, you know, since I've been a, a child, my dad um, has been playing music, plays guitar, writes songs. And um, so I grew up with that's probably where I got my love for music, which is something that, you know, it's one of my big pastimes is listening to music and, you know, finding new music. And it's a nice way to relax and trying to play the guitar a bit myself, but I'm a bit stop, stop, start with it. But my dad, um the big influence me is running as well like that's how i got into running because he runs so he he writes his own stuff and he um you know he was never really a full-time musician but he wasn't far off but i think he's considered a good songwriter and i like his music and this song the market song is one of his more recent ones um it's a bit of a story like uh, about uh, it's kind of inner city dublin the markets but it's 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 not a it's a fictional story as well there's like elements thrown in so it's kind of a a Bob Dylan-y vibe to it as well, which a lot of his songs are where they 
you know, they're not all facts, but there's a mix of fact and fiction and, you know, it's, it's imagination, but it's a nice story to it. And it's a kind of a positive song. It's kind of appreciating all the, the workers, you know, who do all the jobs that, you know, I suppose these days people might appreciate them a bit more like the, the shop workers, the busmen and all that kind of thing. So it's kind of a, a song for the people. So uh, yeah, it's a market song. It's a nice tune by my dad. Father Peter went for something to eat in the cafe down on Chancery Street, where the street workers meet in the afternoon, get away from the dust and the heat. The waitress, she brought the menu, saying, will I bring you a little wine? I don't usually drink, but in this atmosphere, maybe I will try it this time. Could you bring me some boiled potatoes? I'm a man of simple needs. We don't do them that way, I'm a data surprise, but I could bring you some fish on the side. Oh, that is a disappointment, but I'm sure what you say will be fine. Could I borrow your morning paper? Maybe leave me that bottle of wine. Mentioning your dad there was got you into running. So what was, did you just see him going for runs and said, yeah. that's, that's something I'd like to do? Yeah, my dad, you know, since I was a child, he's been running. Uh, he was running marathons back then when I was very young, running all the road races, the old business houses races, some of the classic races around. So I would have seen that I played a lot of soccer and Gaelic football when I was young. I was thought I was going to be a soccer player. thought I was going to go to England at one stage. In my, probably uh, like a lot of people did when I was in my early teens. I was football day and night. So, you know, running was in the background. Saw my dad running. So when I'd have a football match, might be cancelled or something. I might join my dad for a few miles. And that's probably where I started to get into it. Started cross country in secondary school. Now, I wouldn't have been, I think it was on the B team in the first year in, in secondary school in cross country. And, uh, you know, I probably wasn't anything special for a while, but then I think halfway through secondary school, I started to realise that I think one year we came back and we had a trial cross-country run in the back of St. Paul's College and I beat everyone by a lot. And I was like, geez, maybe I've got a bit of talent here. So it wasn't until really the last year in school or until I left school when I stopped playing soccer that I gave the run and my full attention. And then things kind of really improved. But my dad's influence would have been there. He, you know, he would have encouraged me to play all the sports, you know. You know, soccer was probably my main thing in my mid-teens and the running was in the background, but I was getting more into it. Um, and, you know, I used to go in and watch my dad run the marathon. That's probably where I got the, the love as well for, you know, the buzz of the Dublin marathon. So that's, you know, especially the last, I've run Dublin twice now, but, you know, it has that special feeling to it, which is not like any of the other marathons. So, yeah, that's, my dad would have had a big, big influence on me. Uh, getting involved with running and then you know I met met with um, Dick Hooper and that was involved in St. Paul's College and Marini and he became my coach and you know that was uh, a great uh, man to have there to to you know to get get involved in running with so um, and Marini had a great squad back then it was, there was a load of us together who kind of came through so it was a great atmosphere in the club um, as juniors and stuff and we were competing together and yeah then I gave up the football I was 19 when I stopped playing football so I was probably late enough. I'd won the inter-counties cross-country in 2005, but I think I was still was I still playing football that year. I think I might have just stopped. But um, yeah, and then from there, you know, kind of took it more seriously and made some of the Euro cross-country teams and went on from there. Um, what, what was it about the, the actual act of, of running that, you, that attracted you to it or kept you in it? 
Yeah, I suppose just the, the simplicity of it. You know, and when, when I was playing football as well, I was I loved run, running up and down the left wing, whether it was in GA as well, it was a left half forward. So, you know, I loved that kind of thing of being up and down the pitch. And I suppose the running was always in there. And then, you, you know, when you're a teenager at that age and you're playing football, a lot of lads in the football team wouldn't really understand the running. You know, they, they wouldn't have got the thing of just run. They think, oh, you're just running laps around it. You know, it was a different um, vibe for some of them. But yeah, I always just had this appreciation of it. And, the, and then I just kind of delved into, you know, reading about the old greats, you know, and getting running books and, you know, the likes of um, Eamon Coughlin and then, you know, some of the great English runners and uh, Dave Bedford and Cohen of Eta was reading these books and, you know, and it was like, just thought, this is, this is great, you know, and I wanted to get, get involved in it. And then seeing Rahini Shamrocks was a great club to be involved with. So, but yeah, there was just, it's, it's hard to like, it's like a lot of people, why do we, what we love about running, but there's so many, you know, just the, the spiritual side of it, the, the thing of you being out there on your own. And then it's, it's the individual um, you know, pushing yourself and it's you, you're not relying on anyone else really in a, in a, in a race, you know, unlike a team sport, you know, you're dependent on others, but in running, you're out there on your own. And I suppose that's the, well, it's the beauty of it as well, but it's also the, can be the hard part that there's no hiding and running. If you're having a bad day, you can come up with excuses and that, but you're nearly better off just saying, look, that's it, it's running. If you have a bad day in a football match, you could still score a winning goal, have not play a great match, but still be a hero. But in, in running, if you're having a bad day in American, they're on the track, there's nowhere to go. And that's part of the, I suppose, the bittersweet thing of it. You know, if you put in so much training, um, you can have one bad day. and but It gives you hunger to go back. Uh, but even just away from the competitive, competitive side, you know, especially in these recent times, you see so many people out running. And it's it's just that pure simplicity that you just go out the door, no matter where you are as well. It's a great thing if you're traveling around, you know, you know yourself, if you're in a new city or something, you go out the door to runners and you can you can find new places to train. And, you know, it's, uh, it is, it's a, it's a gift to... To be, you know, that sometimes maybe we, we forget just, you know, on those days where I don't want to run, it's like anything when you're training hard. Like today, I done, you know, I was out for 10 miles this morning and I was tired because I'd done a long run on Monday. It was in the legs and, but you know, that's part and parcel of it. But there is that feeling if you don't run that there's something missing. I know a lot of runners say that, you know, there's something something missing in your day when you haven't ran, you know, and it's itching at you all the time until <laughs> until you get out. So, but yeah, so it's, there's many kind of deeper re- reasons behind why you run that you probably can't even explain properly you know 100 yeah so i i heard and read that you kind of drifted away from the sport then in maybe your early 20s yeah mm-hmm. why how come you drifted Probably. away and what, what did you get up to yeah well like i suppose it's about 10 years ago now i was actually just thinking that earlier i early 20s i was you know progressing well i was cross country was my main kind of thing at the time i wasn't just didn't seem to have to so I still don't like the track wasn't my strongest point so i was making irish cross country teams under 23s each year um, made the senior team in Dublin 2009, which um, that was great. And then Santry, uh, we had a great team, but um, didn't didn't perform great as a team. But that was brilliant being involved in that. But there was a part of me that was maybe a, a little bit burnt out mentally as opposed to physically. I just had other interests. I wanted to go off traveling a bit and had this thing about going to America and just traveling around and, and the running. You know, it, was, it can be all consuming, especially at that age as well. And, you know, a lot of my friends were going off on their summers on holidays, J1s and all that thing when you're in your early 20s. So it was a part of me as well. I just wanted to go off and just explore and do stuff, but not have the pressure of running. So I just lost the interest for a while. I lost the hunger to be competitive. I kind of knew that I'd come back to it, like that it would be there for me. Um, it wasn't like I'm jacking and running totally. Like, I know some people at the time might have been saying, oh, you know, you, why are you throwing, you know, why are you stopping now? But I, I always knew myself that I'd, 
I'd come back when the time was right. So, and I didn't stop running. I just, you know, I was always doing a bit of running. It was just a competitive side for a couple of years. So like I was even jumping in the odd road race, but I wasn't doing myself any, you know, justice when I wasn't performing well. And it probably annoyed me then when you go out and run a race and you're not fit. And so I took a few years of that. And then eventually things just kind of started to come back naturally. And I think I made the Euro cross team in 2013 and Belgrade and that kind of kickstarted it again. Um, and from there, it led on and I ran my first marathon in 2015. And, you know, I started to really progress and had, had a great, great spell on the roads since then. Pretty much I've been, you know, plugging away. And I'm kind of glad I took the few years. I think it might have stood to me maybe for longevity, you know. Um, yeah. And then you learn a lot. And you kind of, it kind of gave me a new appreciation for, I kind of said, look, I want to make the most out of this now. I've had this, you know, potential or talent to, you know, get what I can out of it. Um, we're not going to be a, a world, but, you know, but on a national level, you know, or, you know, get up there at a, at a high level. So I don't, I don't regret taking a few years and I'm glad that I did now looking back. Did you get to travel America? Yeah, for a few years, I've done kind of trips around America on Greyhound buses um, just kind of rambling from different place to place. I had this kind of fascination with the, the vastness of America and kind of just these obscure places to stop I, and I, hotels and stuff. When, when, when I messaged you on Facebook, I saw you had a sign, your profile pictures, like with Kerouac Street or something. So was it kind of like Jack Kerouac? Oh, inspired? yeah, that's going back. In was it kind of Jack Kerouac Francisco. inspired to um, tra- 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 traverse America and go on the great? Yeah, I'd say there was, there was an element of that because my, my dad had a lot of Jack Kerouac back books that I started reading. And um, I, that kind of had that element to it, you know, so that would have been a big inspiration and then I had a big fascination with the music in America as well and but I, I just love not just America but I think it was just that was the place that I wanted to go to and kind of the west of America the, the, the vastness and the landscapes and stuff and so that was what I was at at, at them them couple of years but uh, as I said I didn't stop running it was always there in the background and it was uh, looking back I'm glad that I took a few years and kind of gave me as I said a new new lease of life when I came back Something I was thinking about was like, you know, Jack Kerouac and that kind of beatnik generation and that kind of culture that you're mm. talking about. It's like, it doesn't really pair with being a very strict athlete. Like, how do you reconcile the two? No. That kind of free spirit nature and then being a dedicated yeah, no, athlete. Yeah, there's, there's an, there is a crossover as well between, you know, because the distance runner can be seen as, you know, it's kind of out there doing his own thing and, you know, but there's the other side of, yeah, the, the wildness of that kind of side of things and the social side of it is, is a hard balance and maybe at them years I probably you know leaned more too much to the socials socializing but like I mean I was in my early 20s and I didn't go you know from a running perspective yeah you can't do that and try to train really hard you can get away with it for a little bit but yeah there was probably it was hard to kind of balance the two and try and compete properly so that's why my running suffered then and and then the training you know, wasn't wasn't what I should have been if I wanted to be getting the best out of myself. But you kind of run out of steam with that kind of lifestyle. It's not as if I was doing nothing crazy, but to try and be a top athlete, you need to be strict enough, I suppose. So, you know, it kind of ran its course. And as I said, the, the running kind of won out in the end. But, you know, it's good to experience other things as well. And everyone's different. You know, some runners, they go right through their 20s, disciplined lifestyle, and that's that's you know the way they, they want to do it but I'm kind of glad I I think it was just a part of me that I couldn't keep doing what I was doing I needed to go kind of take a break from it and then come back and you know I got more of a balance anyway after that and you know you can still enjoy yourself something you know it doesn't have to be living like a monk being a runner you can yeah. say even in recent times having you know Paul is it there you know my son you know you're running is 
it's the simplicity of it as well but you know you just get in and you do it and you don't have to overanalyze things all the time and i've been on all them you know camps through the years um which are great you know but sometimes for me as individually you know i might find that they can be a bit too intense and there's too much hanging around waiting for your next run whereas i'd like to go off and do something and you know go around ramble around the town or go sightseeing or something but look you can't do that as well if you're trying to train too you know it's a balance but yeah so i like i kind of found i've gone down to portugal a lot training and in recent times it's been with my wife and then paul come along but i kind of have my own routine i'm glad i wouldn't really be keen on being in a running camp scene these days anymore i'm happy to do my own thing and you know switch off from the running when i'm not and then switch back on when i need to so um, but look the, i think it's good for athletes as well grown grown up as well that they you know experience that group camp mentality because they are good ways to to learn from each other and you know experience what it's like being a being a full-time athlete in that regard but there is there is the risk of over over analyzing stuff and getting too tunnel vision with the running you know yeah i think you're a good example like because i think when people in their 20s they think Oh, if I go for if I go away for six months or a year here abroad, then I come back and I'm going to be starting from ground zero. But like, mm. um, I suppose you're a good example of that you can come back and probably be better, yeah, like be better even. That's it's true. Like I suppose, look, it, it depends on different different athletes as well. And as I said, I never stopped running. Like I didn't just stop running and become inactive. I would. I just I, I love being active anyway. So I was always keeping a decent level of fitness. But so I think there's an element of that. Like if you just totally stopped and that could maybe make it harder for someone to get back if they took a long period out but look some athletes take a long time out and they come back stronger as well and they hadn't done anything so yeah there is i suppose it can be a sign for athletes if they aren't feeling it to take a step back but it's uh, everyone's individual i suppose you know you can't tell that you know a certain young athletes coming through but maybe it shows that i suppose it's more for the longer distances as well the likes of the marathon that you know you can peak in later you know in your 30s mid 30s i'm hoping even even later, you know, as opposed to maybe the middle distance or the sprints, you know, because you'd be at your peak earlier. So there is a lot more, you know, of them years that you need to be really focused. But with marathon running, endurance events, you know, it's a build up over the years. So there is that element that you're not under as much time pressure to be to be at the best. Um, so like if you look at a lot of the, the top marathon guys, you know, they're in their 30s. So now whether a lot of us maybe came to the marathon late as well, but I think there is that thing of building the years of endurance beforehand. It is an individual thing because not many athletes go to the marathon too early and there is a risk of, I suppose, burnout when you're too young, but there's the other side of it, whether, you know, you'd be a better marathon runner if you started earlier. I know Dick, my coach, was running marathons from his, when he was tw- early 20s. So there is other two sides to it, I suppose. Definitely. So that leads into our second track. Second track, um, what was I going to play? A uh, bit of Rory Gallagher, if you know Rory, blues man.
you can definitely see in that song like your um interest in americana and um american culture there yeah exactly yeah well rory gallagher like he would have been you know he's going back that's from the 70s so i got a lot of his interest and in, from my dad's music i know it's previous generation of you know the music from from that era but it stands i think it stands uh to test the time you know the, the quality rory gallagher is probably one of the best guitarists ever and he was from ireland so and he was a blues blues man so i had a big big interest in that kind of music so um the fact that rory was from born in uh he was born in Derry, lived in Donegal, then moved to Cork. He's kind of all over Ireland, so a bit of a national treasure as a musician. So maybe some of the younger guys mightn't have heard of him, but they might start to like to hear a bit of the raw blues kind of music that Rory played. So, um, yeah, just I, I like that kind of... It reminds me of, I suppose, you know, I was listening to that music even in my late teens because my dad had all these albums. So um, they have like, always kind of stayed, like, stayed with me. You would like Peter Green and all them kind of... Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Peter Green yeah, from the original Fleetwood Mac. Yeah, so I know a lot of that real old stuff, which was way before when I was born. But I would have kind of delved in to learn about all these different musicians, that, especially in the late sixties, seventies, and from you know, the Rolling Stones and all, like Eric Clapton and all these other blues kind of bass musicians um, that came out around then. So, yeah, that would be my interest. I'm probably not really much use on modern to what's what's happening these days in music. So, um, better off. But uh, yeah, that's the, the stuff I'd be listening to. So is there a point of time then where you say, I'm committed to this life now of, of running and I'm going to commit to it as much as I can? Yeah, I, I suppose after them couple of years of half-hearted efforts, um, made the Eurocross in 2013, and that kind of kick-started. And I said, right, look, I can get back up here now. And Dick, my coach, had always said, look, the marathon is possibly where my strength lies you know my best event he, he thought that's where it would come from i kind of agreed i knew the endurance side of things was always would have been my strongest um area and i knew on the track and over shorter stuff you know i could do okay but i was never going to get that i didn't don't have that raw speed to do that and i prefer the longer stuff and i love the roads so that had been put on hold i suppose the marathon because i took them a few years so moving into 2014 i had a very good year i was kind of doing very well in the cross country then i won the old interclubs, um, I won the national half marathon, the national 10k on the road. I done a treble of nationals, I think. Yeah, oh, the national 10k on the track as well. Um, so it was them three: the national cross country interclubs, the national half marathon, and the national 10k on the track. And I don't think many had done that treble. So that was a real like, um, you know, Lisa, what's the word? Something that kind of kicked me on a bit more again and I was running a lot of road races as well and kind of on the up progressing 2015 again was a good year and I'd moved up to the marathon and um, won the uh, last national interclubs cross country and then they changed it into the intercounties the same year and I won that as well so I kind of won the nationals twice the same year which was so I was kind of at my they were probably my strongest years at, on the country so I haven't been strong probably since because I've moved up to the marathon it probably takes away from the country, you know, because you're always in a marathon build-up. So, and yeah, I, sp I ran Rotterdam and Berlin them years in the marathon. Got down to 2.15.30 in Berlin and made a big kind of four-way battle for the qualification for Rio with myself, Kevin Seward, uh, Paul Pollock and Sergio Giovanni. Um, so I ran Seville then in the February that year and got sub Sub, sub 2.15 or just outside, just outside 2.15 and put me in a good position for Rio. Um, so I kept racing a lot on the roads, 
possibly overdone it before Rio, but, but I was there was this thing of four of us looking for the three spots. I, my approach was to keep the form up and to show my consistency for the selectors because it was kind of out of our hands. I kind of knew I was in a good position with my time because it wasn't necessarily the fastest times. And I'm not sure if you remember, there was a bit of controversy with the selection then yeah. in the end. But I just focused on myself and said, look, I'm going to keep tipping over on the roads, putting in good performances and show the selectors that I'm consistent. And thankfully it paid off. But from my own training, by the time I got to Rio Olympics, I think I was burnt out. I'd overdone it. We got over there about three weeks and a bit before to a holding camp in Brazil. And I knew I was like, oh, look, I'll freshen up, you know, because I had I had a last long run before I left and I ran out of juice on it up to Phoenix Park. It was a really hot day. And I remember just Dick and all was there on the bike and my dad. And I knew I was in a bit of, bit of trouble because when the long run doesn't go well like that, there's a sign that maybe there's something a bit off. So went over to Rio planning to freshen up, thinking, oh, I have a good bit of time here. But the different environment the heat and the place we were in maybe I overdone a bit of training there too I didn't recover properly um and that's the thing with when you're when you have overdone it it doesn't just automatically come back straight away you know it, it can take a while so then that combined with me getting a blister in my foot I got infected the week before the marathon so that was probably a sign of me being run down anyway so so it wasn't ideal build up for the marathon over there got through it in the end not a great performance but I finished it out which I said I have to do like I wasn't injured or anything. I was just, I wasn't on form. I was running low on energy. How hard, so, how hard was it to finish the race? Knowing that you yeah, were. Back, it probably was. It was a bit of a slow. I got to halfway. I was okay. But then I just ran out, ran out of steam after halfway and grinded it out basically. But it was the Olympics. And I mean, yeah, it, it was the last few miles. I think felt like an eternity coming in. But, you know, my dad and my uncle and cousin had traveled all the way down to Rio as well. And Dick was there and the coach. So. And there was people back in Ireland watching, you know, it was such the Olympics caught everyone's imagination. So I said, I can't, there was no reason for me to drop out. Anyway, I wasn't sick. I wasn't injured at the time. I'd, I'd recovered from the, the infection, but my energy levels were zonked, you know, finished it out. And, you know, look, looking back, yeah, I was, dis- I was very disappointed afterwards and it took a good month and a bit off running, went on another holiday afterwards and switched off. But looking back at the Olympics, it was a great experience, you know, at the time you're probably not really, you know, because you're in the in the zone. With, with the marathon, the men's marathon, it was right at the end. So you couldn't really switch off at all. A lot of events, they had a few days afterwards, but we were basically flying back two days after the marathon. So, um, but it was a great a great experience. And, you know, we had some great, good atmosphere with the, with the, the, the Irish team over there. And, you know, we had some good good crack with some of the, with even like the, the coaches involved and stuff. You know, it was just a good, good camaraderie and it was good to be a part of it. So that was... 2016 and you know I just from there on I've kind of kept plugging away on the roads and you know my marathons improved slightly and I ran Dublin got down to 213 won the nationals the previous year in Dublin so I've been a steady kind of progression maybe stalled a bit in the last year but still I ran a PB and over you know I know there's a lot more PBs there um, and this year I've just gone obviously it's kind of been a messy year so just need to get myself back on back on the track with the and then you know I do feel I have more potential to keep improving, especially over the marathon. Maybe the shorter distances will get harder to, but even over 10K and that, I feel I can, you know, get my times down a bit more. Um, when you when you came back to the sport and you took it more seriously, did you did you believe you could be an, an Olympian? I suppose it wasn't until I ran my first marathon that I read, okay, I can, this event is for me. Um, and then my second one in Berlin got down to 2.15 and I was right in a position to be in the reckoning. And 
Yeah, and I mean, the standards now have gone up so so high and they've cut the Olympic field in half for the Americans, so it is a lot tougher. But yeah, I think I had that belief. I was very confident as well because my, I was progressing on all fronts on the road, the track and the cross country. And yeah, I was on a, I was on a good upward curve. So I, I kind of thought, yeah, like, there's no reason why I can't um, be an Olympian. Like it's, it is like qualifying, you know, for any of the other major championships as well. It's just Olympics, I suppose. It has that added thing to it but it wasn't I wasn't treating it as if it's something majorly different than a European or World Championships you know it was still the same process of having to qualify but look I got you know it was was great to be part of it thankfully the year after that in London the World Championships uh, marathon I was was able to kind of redeem myself I finished 22nd which is probably one of my best championship runs um, in London they had a kind of a lapped course and that was a great 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 day and it was it was like a hometown race there were so many Irish over there so that was good to be able to get back after after the disappointment of Rio. Yeah, so you've competed at the World Championships, Olympics, Europeans. Um, you you as they'd say, you made it. So like, what keeps driving that hunger then? Yeah, well, look, I I mean, I've, the Olympics was a decision. I obviously want to go back and try and don't know whether that's going to happen this year. Where like, I mean, the Olympics possibly will go ahead, but I'm not in a position at the moment, and the standards have gone so high. I'll be doing very well to to make it. Um. But yeah, like I just want to keep, I know I've more in me and more things to achieve personally and, you know, just keep, keep my, I suppose, record of consistency through the years, kind of longevity. I want to try and, that's kind of a thing I wanted. It's a personal thing of trying to keep that going and it's not to show anyone else really, but it's meant for my family and stuff as well. You know, I know they massive follow, you know, they follow me everywhere, my uncle and my dad and my mum wife and everyone you know so for that I know that I can keep giving more and the, the joy that it gives my family as well and, and then for the club Rahini as well so yeah and it's just that I mean that joy of competing and pushing myself and that's what I've missed obviously in the last year and it'll be great when I can get back more regularly competing because that's what I thrive on races and I love going around the country as well to the different road races and the buzz of them you know and meeting all the different characters as well so there is you know the running scene is great around Ireland you probably know yourself from and um, mixing with a few of the gang, you know, that um, it's uh, it's enjoyable going down to wherever it is in Ireland and a nice local road race. And it uh, doesn't have to be a big, massive event either, you know, so you could be at major championships or then down running a road race forever. And it's still still a great, great buzz and a great feeling. Good stuff. So our third track. Third track, um, what was it going to play? I think in the Verve. Lucky man, you know that song? Oh, Mick, I'm learning the guitar here, right? And I looked oh, yeah. up. I looked up yesterday a tutorial for Lucky Man by the Verve because it's only three chords. Oh yeah, seriously. So oh, most man. of the best songs are only three chords. That's that's so funny that you that you play that song. I'm not sure you should mention that anyway. Yeah, I was just thinking. I I, I I've kind of gotten back into listening to the, the Verve because when I was, I think that was probably my first CD. There's a great interview with Richard Ashcroft. I sent it on to you. It's this guy from yeah, the British, he's, he's some character. Like. Yeah. Um, yeah, I just like I think they're they're a really good band and he's a great songwriter. I just like they're they're kind of he's kind of such a kind of cool character as well. <laughs> he wears the shades all the time. So. Um, I, watched, I really like that song. Actually, yesterday I watched um, Bittersweet Symphony live at Glastonbury in like 2005. Oh, yeah. It's just insane. Yeah, there's a great one of them on Jules Holland as well. Yeah, they're, it kind of reminds me of growing up as well. I was listening to them. I would have been only 12 or 13 or whatever, but um, yeah, just. That song, I don't know, there's something great about that song. So there's no major reason why 
it's in there except it's a good song and I've always liked that that band and that kind of Richard Ashcroft's kind of character is um you know he's a bit of a bit of a lad you know <laughs> picked it up last week I, I'm kind of been stop star for the last few years it's been my I think my one yeah. dream my one dream in life is to learn the guitar and I've just never had the discipline to stick at it yeah I'm similar myself with my learning of it guitar. I can see it sitting there um, left-handed guitar I'm left-handed um, as well yeah, <laughs> this is the problem because it's, it's hard to like follow tutorials when it's left-handed oh yeah everything's upside down yeah have to... <laughs> but yeah no I've been stop start and you have to treat it like running, you know, you have to do whatever. That's why I've watched my dad since I was young. Every night he's sitting there strumming away. So, um, no, I plan to really get back. Like probably this year I haven't been at it. I think we're having little Paul in the evenings. I'm nearly so tired by the time, you know, but I, I do plan to pick it up. But, yeah, you, you know, it's when you're stop start, you feel like you're kind of, you do have to just commit with, with to it. It is like, it's like running, you know. With the third lockdown now, I think I just have to. I've no excuses now. I've just put the head put, down and put the head down. You just have to set the time aside and say you're going to do it. It's like going for a run, you know. You say like that's what I'm going to. Yeah. And you have to switch off, you know, get away from all the phones and get away from all unless you're using it for chords or whatever with songs. But you know. So um, look, look, lucky man is going to be yes. my first um my first song. It's pretty yeah, simple. Your man, I, your man on YouTube made it look very easy. Well, all the be- like all the a lot of the really good songs they are just a simple three chords songs like you know Neil Young and that as well and all them songs that. No, it's there's not a there's not a whole lot to actually the, the the learning of the the chords to it. Yeah. yeah. So. Okay, we're moving on to the final section. Um, you set up a coaching business. Yeah. So the last few years, um, about four years now, I've got my own coaching kind of set up. Yeah. It was something I thought about for a while, and I suppose I haven't been doing any specific kind of work outside running in in the years prior to that. Like it was kind of verge kind of full-time athlete kind of I hadn't any you know I'm not an office nine to five man I don't think well it would have suited me so 
so the coaching thing was something that my dad and probably encouraged me as well to get into it. And, you know, I've seen in recent years a lot more athletes going back and doing, doing coaching and there's a there's a, a living to be made from it as well. So, uh, yeah, I set it up. I've kind of branched into some of the corporate stuff as well where we take groups at lunchtime. Um, and that's all stopped this year. Um, hopefully we'll start back up. And I've yeah, worked in with uh, Mike and Susan McGovern. You might know them from the Irish Milers Club. So I've linked in with them and they've accessed the Crusaders. Um, they're with Crusaders, so the track in Irish Town. So that was really beneficial for a lot of the companies down in the docks of Dublin, the, the Docklands and that, that they could come down at lunchtime and do an interval session. So that was an element of it. And then my own personal, I mean, my own coaching groups are locally in St. Anne's and Rohini, you can see from the Clontarf. And they've gone really well over the last few years. So they kind of cater for all levels, really. Um, you know, can be people beginning to, you know, decent kind of club runners so they're, they're not Rohini Shamrocks but a lot of the people are from Rohini Shamrocks that will be at the sessions but they're they're my own sessions um, and people just do in, it's a mix of interval stuff and you do hills or, or whatever out and out sometimes and then there's a bit of online one-to-one coaching I'm doing uh, mostly with people that I know from the groups I've kind of kept it at a small a small number I'm just well, not comfortable at coaching too many people at once I kind of like the yeah. the personal side of it being in touch as opposed to just you know not really being in touch with the person that much but I do have kind of in recent times since the the lockdowns because my group session stopped I started these kind of generic plans for the people who wouldn't normally come to my sessions so not all of them do but um so the latest one say is building for the Rohini five virtual run which is in two weeks so it was a seven week plan just starting before Christmas and it's basically just sending on a couple of interval and tempo sessions each week uh, along with some training tips that I write up so that seems to be going well and hopefully the group stuff will start back when these restrictions ease because uh, I really enjoyed it the whole kind of meeting with everyone and it's good atmosphere and it's not too not too serious but you know it's still that the training is done but it's it's a good distraction for me then for my own running, but there's kind of found in, fell into a great group of people who have all gotten to know each other and become friends as well. And uh, so, yeah, I'm enjoying that. And it's a nice way to, to make a few bob too. Do you, do you get satisfaction out of kind of being that focal point of bringing people together and progressing? Absolutely. Yeah. And you kind of, sometimes you forget that, you know, people are, they might tell you, oh, you know, I ran a PB in, the, in over 5k and stuff. And yeah, it's nice, nice, uh, feeling to have that you're you're helping people out and because i've seen just even from some of the groups i've seen people who didn't know each other and they're great friends which is kind of real it wasn't for the group they wouldn't have. but I, I like being like i like being around people like that and it's positive as well so it's great great thing to be involved and i it's 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 a gift to be able to be out outdoors saying this is what you're doing for work you know out in the fresh air out in st Anne's park in the morning saying this is great you know this is uh, so uh, lucky, lucky in that regard. So hopefully it'll keep uh, keep plugging away at it and going well. Does it give you a different perspective dealing with people, especially in the corporate side, where they're not maybe doing it for competitive reasons; they're just doing it to get outside for fresh air? And yeah, you have to respect that as well. So I'd never, you know, take things too serious with people. Then again, there's there's people at that kind of side of things who who are really focused on their running, and sometimes you nearly have to pull them back a bit you know it'd be more intense than you know some of the elite at the elite level which shows that's that's the nature of running as well because it can become it's it's an addictive sport at times you know and some people can really 
get heavily into it and you know you need a balance but yeah you have to respect as well that people just want to get out and do a bit of training so that's why it's a you know it's, it's a it's a mix of not being overly serious um but at the same time the training's done and i know there's people who might want to get involved with a club element they might feel it's they just don't want to commit to that and that's really like coming to my sessions maybe it's a, it's a pay-as-you-go kind of basis as well where people don't have to feel like they're have to be there every week so it gives kind of caters for all the, the different um you know levels and people's uh, needs as in, in their running you know Good stuff so what's the plan going forward and um so what are the goals in your career would you like to achieve main one would be to get the mar- my marathon time down a bit more just try and keep progressing at that yeah and that would be the main one really just to get the most out of myself the next few years so i was telling you there my birthday today i'm 35 so i was gonna wait till the end but happy birthday, happy birthday. Uh, so i think i'm considered a master now to in recent times but now looking in the marathon i think i definitely can progress the next few years once the body holds up and i look after because i know there is a bit of wear and tear sets in when you've been training for over the years you know so i just need to be mind myself and uh just keep that you know just to keep that desire to keep pushing on and the hunger you know which you need to have sometimes it can be lacking maybe in the last year it's kind of slipped a bit with the lack of racing and stuff so just need to get that maintain that and give what i can and just keep enjoying it really because that's the main reason why we we, we do it you know and uh, the buzz of it so but i feel like in you know the next few years hopefully it can be still good ones and it can be up at the top of top of things hopefully I saw him called World World Championships in Oregon next year I think in the, which would be a great I think it was was meant to be this year so the marathon there that'd be a nice one isn't on the agenda that would be a nice one to have as a target because uh, Oregon as well could be a nice trip I see going it's, through uh, going through music and your travels I think you'd like you'd like Oregon that that here yeah yeah <laughs> it's good it's good running uh, history to Oregon as well you know the Prefontaine and all the yeah uh, Nike and the track club and all that so. So I saw I saw him to call Denny last week and we were talking about runners um maybe like having regret and looking back in their career. So do you do you think when you, when you finish up eventually, um whenever it is that you can look back and be content with what you did? Oh yeah yeah I think um you always have well, you might have times where you have performances that you mightn't have felt you put in the right preparation and things. But no look I, as I said when I took a few years out I don't regret it either and you know last last five or six years I've kind of been non-stop at it and I've, you know I've put a lot of effort in so I don't I think I'll keep that going until till the the hunger hopefully it won't wear off but you know I'd like to see myself running for as long as I can you know and obviously then things start to slow down and as you get older but um you know, I just go with the flow of it and I won't do it dwell on dwell on any things like um you know just part and parcel um it's really a good interview with um one of the Mayo footballers who retired, Parsons, Tom Parsons, yeah. a lot of the GA lads retired recently. I've seen, but it was he had a lot of good points about you know how over, how certain things in the sport gave him other opportunities that and that he really appreciated when he was injured and stuff. That other areas of his life improved and stuff. And he had a very good perspective on you know his career and he he felt he gave back to the people in in Mayo. You know, even though he didn't didn't get there all Ireland yet, but um. Yeah, it was just interesting to see that side of things, you know, that there's no point in dwelling on the negatives that happen because and thankfully I've had a lot more positives as well, running wise. So just need to, you know, it's a fine line as well with injuries. I've had a few niggles and a few bits and pieces that 
have knocked me out, but not for a really long period. So hopefully I can maintain that because uh, you know it's, it's always knocking on the door and injury or whatever. So you just need to be uh, that's where you need to look after yourself more as, as the body gets a bit more bit more um, wear and tear through the marathon, especially the marathon training. It can take its take its toll. Good stuff. So I won't keep you any longer. It's your birthday. I'll let you go and enjoy your your day. Go and celebrate. You have a big party. Now. Finish with your outdoor track. <laughs> so my last. Last track, yeah. Uh, going back again to the 70s, it's Neil Young, On the Beach is the song. This is a fairly chilled out vibe. It's from, uh, so it's, um, yeah, it's probably one of Neil Young's best albums. It might be best known to a lot of people, but it's it's kind of when he, he was getting a lot of commercial success and he kind of went the opposite route. Um, the record companies wanted him to make kind of hit songs and he'd gone through a lot of personal stuff and, people in his band there was a lot of oh, there was things happening that you know his his mood slightly changed it might be somber kind of feel to it but it's also some of his there's a lot of positivity in it as well but it's some of his best music and it's just the kind of what I like about it is the raw kind of feeling to it uh, I think even in this song you can hear him clearing his throat halfway through it so it's it's not like polished up at all but it's just kind of um and it's kind of a nice kind of song if you're out traveling on a road somewhere and it's fairly chilled out so maybe not before race you'd play it you might get a bit too too uh too relaxed so i've other other songs that i play before race is a bit of more irish trad stuff or whatever to get me riled up but this is more uh, an un- unwinding kind of song when the work is done I need a 
Turn. 